pop up on your site for a discount. Um, these people know who you are. These are warm. Like when you talk, go outside of e-com and think of any sales strategy, who are you, who do you want to spend most of your time with? Like you have to prospect and make the cold warm, but you, those warm leads are what are going to close. Um, so that is the easiest place that you can make money and make it immediately. Yo, what is up? This is Christian D. Evans, host of Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. And I just want to share with you real quick. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to us, but also our community. And, you know, if you like this, please share this with your friend, your family, a colleague, someone that you don't even like. Definitely share that with them. And then also leave a comment and a review for us. We really do appreciate that. And show our guests some love if you find that this episode really resonates with you. Secondly, also want to share with you some really awesome news. I've had the Fortune Opportunity Network and have incredible guest, eight and nine figure entrepreneurs, CEOs and founders on our podcast. And what we've done is we've actually been able to open up a be uncommon if you can mastermind where we're able to open up the door for so many of you, right? Those that are six figure, seven figure entrepreneurs that are scaling, that are struggling, that really want to level up their game, their business, their life, whatever it is. I'm able to open up that door for you with this Be Uncommon If You Can Mastermind. Now, we're only taking a select few of individuals. So what you'll need to do is go to christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. And the link is actually in the description as well. Guys, that is christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. We're only opening this up for a select few of individuals that really want to level up their game. You have a conversation with me. See if you qualify. And guys, enjoy the episode. And remember... Be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, this man, he's young, he's vibrant, and he came out of the womb hustling. Okay. And I'm telling you that because he's just got an incredible journey. Uh, what I love about it is he's just an outspoken and engaging entrepreneur who can speak basically in depth on specific e commerce, but also we're going to be diving into the commission only sales force for e-commerce specifically because of the pivot during COVID. And it's going to be actually very interesting. Guys, this man, 18 credit hours left to graduate from the University of Alabama. He quit school to build his first e-commerce business with one of the most innovative execs in the D uh, direct-to-consumer space. From there, he started a number of other businesses and bought into existing businesses, most of which were e-commerce stores or revolved around online lead gen. After building large social media following that brought a lot of attention to his success and outreach from friends and family, he decided to start an agency focused on direct-to-consumer brands. His agency, Purebred Marketing, combines traditional direct digital marketing tactics like SEO, email marketing, digital advertising, et cetera, with creative strategies like building commission-only sales force for e-commerce stores. The combination of a team with unparalleled expertise mixed with our approach to think outside the box. Please welcome my friend, my colleague, Philip Hill. How are you doing, my man? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Awesome. Well, hey, man, I'm really excited because obviously in the e-com world, it's tough to be profitable, definitely when you're running ads and acquisition on those front end, right? And a lot of stores, uh, a lot of e-commerce brands are obviously trying to compete with what's going on in the market, right? Uh, Amazon's got, what, like 70% of the uh, online sales. Walmart's got you know ridiculous amount. They're trying to build their own store. So you're competing crazy. However, though, it's still very possible and very profitable. So I'd love to dive into, first of all, kind of, you know, what are you seeing right now in the uh, e-com world? And what are some of the channels that are producing the best return uh, for those e-commerce brands that have some sometimes very tight margins? 
Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, the paid side of things is where most e-commerce brands start. Um, when you can figure out how to spend a dollar to make two, uh, you know, you can scale that pretty easily. Uh, but what we've been seeing, it started with, you know, Facebook data, um, having to cut back on their data from advertising, uh, and then all of the tracking issues with iOS and, and different browsers that are blocking tracking, to now really a lot of the issues that we're seeing are Facebook shutting down ad accounts, freezing ad accounts, things like that. Um, and CPMs getting hired. the paid side of things. It's just getting, it's getting harder to track where you're not exactly sure. Um, if you spend a dollar, what is that return? Um, and then also just a lot of hurdles. Um, so there's some new platforms. A lot of people are using TikTok talk successfully. Some people use YouTube successfully. I know a ton of people that waste a lot of money there. Um, but we've really shifted our focus to a few main areas where we try to, to focus on the most profitable areas. Um, so email, if you have proper email set up, most people are going to have some sort of emails, um, you know, whether it's a monthly newsletter or something, but people don't really know the power of email. It should be 20 to 30% of your revenue for an e-commerce store. Uh, and most of that should be triggered off of, uh, off of automation. Um, but that should be your, your highest ROI because it's so inexpensive once you have, um, customers or collected contact information, however that may be. Um, and then SEO is over time, SEO should be your second highest ROI channel. Um, paid search is great, especially for newer brands because SEO takes some time. Uh, but if you have to spend a dollar to make two, you know, you're spending 10,000 to make 20,000, 20,000 to make 40,000, wherever that, and you have to continue your budget uh, to scale your budget to grow your uh, revenue with it. Where with SEO, you can spend whatever the amount is, depending on the brand, $5,000 a month, $25,000 a month, $100,000 a month. But maybe every single month you're spending that same amount and it takes a few months to break even, then you break even, then you're profitable. But three years down the road, you can still be spending that same number of thousand dollar investment that you're making 20, 30, 50 X on because you're just always producing more content um, and generating more traffic, which you know leads to more sales. Uh, and then the last place that we've really built out that you mentioned earlier, that's just really interesting was us getting creative and scrappy at the beginning of COVID. Uh, luckily, e-commerce, which is our focus, took off, but we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so maybe two weeks into truly being, you know, lockdown quarantine, um, we were like, we have to figure something out because our business might tank. And so we started running ads. It was like, uh, are you are you nervous to spend money on marketing with no guarantee of results? Like March, April of 2020, everybody's like, yes. I will build commission only Salesforce for your e-commerce store. And we just started going out and just pounding the pavement, finding review sites, uh, big content publishers, pitching kind of like PR to mass media outlets, influencers, just everybody that we could. Um, and we would just pay them. We would just track it with a little affiliate um, link and the affiliate platforms pay out the um, affiliate publishers. And we just started growing this. And everybody, there's no reason not to have it. Most e-commerce stores have, an affiliate program, but it's more like passive referrals where we just go and we try to recruit and manage, um, you know, all the affiliates for them. And we build programs with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of big affiliates within their niches, which uh, we did it to try to make sure we could stay afloat. And now it's one of our main service offerings that everybody's going crazy for. 
See, and that's what's so interesting because it takes someone like you that, that's an innovator, right? And I think it's so interesting because so many people, like you were just saying, like, hey, you know, spend a dollar to make two, right? And what happens is some a lot of business owners, they finally get there, right? One, two, three dollars in the back end, wonderful. Then all of a sudden something changes. iOS, Facebook, YouTube, things are constantly changed. And all of a sudden, now all of a sudden it's not three dollars, it's a dollar fifty, right? And now it's exactly. like, oh shoot, our margin just split in half. What the heck are we doing? And what I think is so interesting about you is being on the forefront experiencing that, but then obviously pivoting very quickly and, and embracing the change, right? You didn't sit there like, man, I remember what it was, right? You were going out there, let's, hey, figure this out, right? Because hey, we could complain and sit there. So let me ask you this. Let's talk a little bit about that. So during that time, internally in-house, what was that conversation like, as well as like, hey, you know what? We're not really sure about this, but it, it worked. And now obviously it's produced incredible results, but let's be honest, I, correct me if I'm wrong, during that time, it was uncertainty. So let's talk a little bit about that. Very much so. This was created out of uncertainty. Um, the conversation, the you know, the first couple weeks or maybe first week was I, the priorities had to be our people. We have, you know, families, we have people that have kids they need to put food on the table for, have a roof over their heads. And so we were just trying to stay ahead. We saw uh, something bad coming. We didn't know how significant it would be, uh, but we just needed something that we knew that new customer acquisition was going to be extremely difficult for paid services, especially some of the things that take a little bit um, more time. And people are uncertain, even if their business hadn't been hit hard yet. Uh, when people are, when you're in uncertain times, people are not willing to bring on new things. So you're trying to figure out how to cut costs, how to consolidate. Um, and so the the paid on performance model, it was what can we do that minimizes our risk? That's mostly just our time. Like I don't want to go spend, you know, put. $10,000 a month into advertising campaign for somebody, but we already have this overhead. We're trying to keep everybody. Our whole goal is not to fire anybody. Um, and how can we use our time and the resources that we have? And this is, this is what we came up with. It was just a lot of brainstorming. And I came in one day and I was like, guys, I have no idea if this is going to work, but like, we need to try something. Let's give it a shot. Um, and we have, we have refined this so much over time at first, like it worked for a lot of brands, but we brought in a lot of smaller brands they were just too young that it didn't really work well for. Uh, so now we know like we have a, a pretty extensive um, process where we we don't accept most people to our program. You have to hit kind of certain minimums. We have to make sure that it will fit well um, for us. So that's been part of the learning curve for us is we, we wasted a lot of time not making a lot of money. But then there were other brands that we, you know, blew up huge revenue channels that in a few months they were making, you know, six figures without spending a dollar up front. Um, so that, I mean, the conversations were really like, let's brainstorm, get it all out on the table because we, we need to do something to make sure we stay ahead of this. And, you know, we luckily, it, I wouldn't say it was a home run at first, but it has turned into something that's just, you know, really been invaluable for us. Well, I do see one of the things is when I ran a business and I scaled it to several millions, I did a lot of that through paid acquisition. And that was it. That was my bread and butter. I spent millions of dollars in ads, made a lot of money on the back end. The thing is, when you said organic and SEO, that's something that I'm not familiar with. However, the, I do understand the power, the long play. I know software companies, they generate tons of incredible leads. They're asset. It's like, to me, I look at it as like real estate online, right? It's constantly producing, developing. It's not controlled. You can't control it as much. However, though, now all of a sudden you have, you know, 10,000 houses, right? right? You know, real estate pieces out there. Um, yeah. So if you could explain to me kind of, you know, for someone that's not, you know, like me, that's not as familiar with real estate or, or SEO, 
um, if you could explain that a little bit, kind of what the trajectory is for the e-commerce world and, you know, obviously the gain that they're missing because they're, they're not part of that. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, people that are familiar with paid search, it's going to be, it's similar in that uh, it is responsive advertising as opposed to interruptive advertising like most social platforms. So people have search intent, but, you know, hopefully high buying intent for a lot of these um, you know, kind of lower hanging fruit words, higher converting terms, where if somebody's already looking for you, why would you not want to be in front of them? We're now cutting this funnel down, cutting the sales cycle down of, uh, think of Facebook advertising, which works really well. Like I'm, this is just a, a separate channel, but you are having to now get in front of somebody, educate them on your product, educate them, build trust with them and let them, you know, build some trust, awareness with your brand, and then nurture them through to the point that they finally decide that they want your product and then they buy. With search, somebody goes to search and they type in, if you're selling dog beds, somebody types in dog beds for sale. Or we have a client that specializes in dog beds for large dogs. Somebody types in dog beds for large dogs or large dog beds. It has 40,000 people a month that search it. They are looking specifically to buy a bed for their large dog. Why would you not want to be one of the first people they find and be responsive to that search query? So what we look at from an SEO standpoint to your real estate point of view is we're going to find some primary properties. Those are going to be probably their homepage, their category pages, their product pages. These are going to be the highest converting terms because they are looking for specifically what you have and land dynamically on those pages that answer their query for, with high buying intent. From there, once we get those to rank it at the top, you know, you have to, there's only one way to really get more keywords to rank because Google is looking at each individual page as what is this topic? And it's not just one keyword now. All of Google's updates over big algorithm updates other than this past year um, recently have been uh, natural language processing. So like basically how can I read this page? Uh, instead of just looking for keywords. And so you get, you'll rank for a bunch of synonyms and stuff, some of which aren't even on your page just because Google understands it. But at the end of the day, uh, the, the amount, the number of products and categories you have, you kind of end there. And so it's, how do we get creative to move past this? And so that's when you start answering questions. So maybe uh, is a dog bed worth buying? And we're going to write an article. So back to the dog bed example. We're going to write an article explaining why a dog bed is worth buying, why it's better for your dog's health, why it keeps their joints healthy longer, all of these things. But then even put in sales angles of why specific types of dog beds that we will then interlink to those product pages, why those are the best type of dog beds that are worth the money. Um, and so there's there's just so much more reach that you can get. And when you're continuously putting out content, that's where you really grow exponentially is all of this additional real estate um, that you're getting. So in so I do a good bit in real estate too. So an example would be you buy a, a great piece of property that you can renovate. So easy numbers, you buy a $300,000 house, you put $100,000 into it, you get a loan on that $400,000 amount. So you have $80,000, your 20% down payment, that house is now worth 500,000. You can refinance that, keep 20% in, you can take your $80,000 out and you can keep putting back into buying more properties. And you can use that model continuously where you can buy 20 properties just with that initial $80,000 you put down. It's the same thing that we do with SEO is let's start with these product pages. I've never actually uh, equated this to real estate either. You just threw this at me and it, it makes a lot of sense. You use those product and category pages that are going to convert quickly and really well. And then you take that money you're getting and just keep putting it into producing more and more content 
um, where over time you have all of this, you know, all of these assets that are taking up real estate on the first page um, of Google that uh, it just continues to, to build and build and build. Um, and the more you rank for it, the better all your other pages, you know, Google kind of sees you as an authority and it keeps pushing all of your rankings up, you know, kind of throughout your site as well. Well, what's interesting, so what you're basically saying is it's long tail keywords. It's not just dog or dog bed. It's longer, hey, how to something, you know, dog bed or something like that, right? So it's a longer tail keyword. And then as well as, now let me ask you this, Philip, because I do know, obviously, YouTube is owned by Google, and their algorithm is very similar in that, in that respect, right? Um, many times in their Google searches, you see some of the YouTube video that talks about, you know, XYZ. Um, so would you recommend, you know, almost, you know, um, allocating or re, re, repurposing that content on on YouTube and create that video. Um, and then as well as just so I know, what is that trajectory like? How many pieces should they be producing every single month? And then what does that trajectory look like? I know it depends obviously kind of the, you know, a, a lot of like algorithm and, and content and production and keywords and so forth. But I would like to just see what that trajectory on common you see. Yeah, so uh, a lot of that comes down to budget. Um, so to answer your question first on the YouTube piece. So one thing that we're finding really effective is so we don't do anything with YouTube SEO, but YouTube's algorithm is very similar, same as Amazon, very similar uh, to Google's in your keywords and things like that. Uh, but having those videos on your site, Google can act, Google understands what those videos are about, uh, but also it helps with dwell time, which means people stay on your page longer, uh, stay on your site longer, which is a ranking factor to Google. So adding those videos in to your blogs, it can be basically the exact same thing as what your text is and your copy is. Um, but it is, it's very helpful to couple together. I don't want to speak too much to YouTube SEO because I'm not, um, an expert in that field per se. Um, but they do couple, couple well together. Um, so for the amount of content, so most of that comes down to budget. SEO is very directly correlated to how much you put into it. So if you produce one piece of content a month or a hundred pieces of content a month, as long as they're the same quality content optimized for SEO, you're going to get roughly a hundred times the results from that where with paid, it's not that way. Like you have to test and scale slowly and gradually. Um, so we just had a client They're they're big, they're a multi-billion dollar uh, company, but they, they got us to come in. They've never put a focus on SEO. I've grown to this extent with zero emphasis on SEO. And so we did um, really just a big strategy uh, kind of SEO foundation built for them of looking at competitors, trying to find opportunities, seeing what, had they done anything decently well, which they hadn't really. And so one of the big things we found was just purely the number of pages per site. And the, their competitors had, I can't remember off the top of my head what the numbers were, but it was exponentially more pages because they just created a ton of content. Um, they got them like millions of people to their site a month. And so that was one of the big things we put in front of them. He was like, okay, I want two, 200 blogs in the next month which is like ridiculous. Most businesses are not putting out 200 pieces of content. He didn't care how it was shared or anything like that. We, we ended up getting, I think it was like over four months, we came up with these first 200 pieces, which is still a lot of content. You know, that's two and a half long form articles, 1500 to 10,000 words, all these articles were. Um, but I mean, they've already grown. They, the first article was posted just a few months ago. They already have 8,000 people a month, 8,000 users a month to their blogs. They've only posted probably 10 of those blogs, maybe, maybe 20 of those blogs. So they still have a bunch in the tank. So um, a lot of it is just what are you willing to put in from a budget budgetary standpoint, uh, because that is directly correlated to your returns. The one caveat is if you are in a tight niche that doesn't have just a ton of different topics, 
that you can talk about that are really, you know, very tightly related, directly related to your business or your products, um, it might not be worth putting that much out because at some point you're going to run out. And there's a point where we end up just updating a lot of older content as well if we run into those issues. So one, due to industry and how many people are searching for things that relate to your business, two, really comes down to budget and, and what you're able to, to swing. Awesome. I appreciate that insight. I mean, obviously you, you know what you're talking about, which is awesome. Uh, so let's kind of pivot a little bit because, um, you know, I, I do know in the e-commerce world, it is tough to, to put some paid acquisition behind it. Right. Uh, because the, sometimes the margins are very slim. I mean, cost of goods, obviously the process, the handling, all that stuff. And you obviously are, are competing against, um, you know, uh, you know, Amazon free shipping and so forth. So it's, it's that concept, like, where's that money going to come from? Right. And many companies are not able to withstand that loss for a period of time. Right. So let's kind of talk about like uh, affiliates. Right. Um, I do know a lot of e-commerce, they leverage influencers, affiliates uh, to drive high leverage sales and so forth. Uh, what is that strategy in regards to that? Because uh, I'd love to kind of dive into that. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing with the affiliate model, whether it's using influencers, using large publications, bloggers, things like that, the greatest part about the affiliate model is taking the risk out that you just mentioned. So with paid, it's you spend a dollar to make five. Well, there's some testing you're going to do. You're going to spend a dollar to make 50 cents. Um, and even with costs, especially supply chains gone crazy the past couple of years, margins have been, you know, just really slimmed down uh, for a lot of businesses. So the affiliate model Typically, there are a few different ways to run it. The way we run our program is there are fixed margins. So you're paying a percentage of sales. So you know that there's zero risk up front to you're not going and um, you know, paying influencers a bunch of money for a post. You're just paying them on performance. So if your product costs $100 and you're paying out 20% total, you know exactly what you're making on each one of those sales. And if they don't sell anything, like not great. It's not growing your, growing your sales, but you're also not out anything. Um, so that's, that's really where the affiliate model is so helpful with, um, it takes away that risk from paid acquisition and it takes away also the risk of things that just take a little bit longer, um, of spending money month over month when you're not sure where you're going to get those returns. Uh, but that's, what's, that's, what's most attractive to people is, you know, if any business I've ever owned, I'm sure you're the same. Somebody came to me and said, Hey, I'll build a commission only sales force for you. Are you interested in that? Like, yeah, why, why would I not be, you know, it takes my risk away. If it performs well, it's amazing. If it doesn't, you know, no harm, no foul. As long as it doesn't take a lot of my time, um, which is, you know, that's, that's the biggest benefit there. But the, the other side of what you're talking about with paid and margins being so slim and really having to dial in these ads to be profitable is if you have, if you have a one product business, that's not a consumable product or something you buy repeatedly, that can be really tough for that business. Whereas if you have, it doesn't even have to be a subscription company, but something where you have numerous products that complement each other uh, or a, a wider range of products where your LTV, your lifetime value of a customer is going to be much higher than your average order value. You know, you can break even on those first sales because you know, like we have a, a client that their average customer buys from them seven times. That first order, if they break even on that, they're now making, you know, they're, Email marketing is so inexpensive to stay in front of these people and retargeting ads. Uh, but your email and SMS should be, you know, substantially increasing that lifetime value of a customer where a lot of people now, they're not even worried about how profitable are they on that first sale. It's how can we really build the value of our customers from buying 
a hundred dollar product one time to buying a hundred dollar product seven times from us, but we only paid to acquire that customer once. And then it's just very inexpensive touch points following. So that's one way that we're really combating, um, you know, these rising prices and, you know, data issues and things with, with paid. Well, you bring up a really good point because definitely marketers, right? We always love to talk about on the front end, right? Uh, what it takes to you know acquire that customer. Let's get more customers, right? The numbers aren't working because of the customers, right? And really, the higher level e-commerce business owners that just like you said, they think about obviously the back end, right? We have a list of ten thousand customers that bought with us once. How do we re-engage them on a consistent basis? So I like to dive in a little bit more in detail on some tips and tricks. You said email, you said SMS, you also said retargeting. Obviously, I do know on YouTube and Facebook and Google, that is really cost effective uh, in retargeting, definitely if you have a list. Um, so let's kind of talk a little bit like some certain tricks that really turn the dial, even maybe even some JVs and, and strategic partners with other products. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, so that's another thing you bring up of, of JVs and strategic partners. Even if you have a small product line, you can partner, everybody will private label something for you or just do brand partnerships where you can reach each other's audiences. That is a brand partnerships is an extremely cost effective way to find brands that have uh, the same target audience, but you're not competition for each other. And then you can leverage each other's audiences for free. Um, but with email and SMS, I mean, Everybody gets, we're all on these lists. You buy something from someplace and you just start getting bombarded with emails. Some people like it, some people don't. And it really depends how it's done. Um, segmentation and personalization is the name of the game there. And automation is a must. If you're not, if you have an e-commerce store and you are manually sending all of your emails, I can almost guarantee you, you are missing out on an enormous amount of money. It's just extremely profitable. Um, so an example would be, uh, abandoned carts, like the one thing that everybody knows you should have abandoned cart, uh, emails and SMS. If you have one email that goes out, you're missing out on probably picking up another five, 6% of sales. It's just easy. These people are already showing you, we added this to cart because we're interested. And we're all on our phones now where you could be standing in line. Hopefully they're not doing this, but sitting in a red light, you know, whatever these things are that, um, they showed interest. Those are things that you should hammer, but then even things like, uh, if you buy a product and you have a product that specifically complements that product, but it's most most people that buy that are, are only going to buy it to complement that product, don't mass send that to everybody. After a certain amount of time, for one thing, you should probably do post-purchase upsells when they're trying to buy this first product. Show them, hey, we'll give you a discount on this. This complements it perfectly. And you would be shocked at how many people go for those deals, uh, especially if it's a higher priced item they're buying first and the complementary product's lower price. Uh, you can get 20, 30% of people to go for that, which is just free money at that point. You've already acquired the customer. Uh, but following that, we send emails. So we set up automations based on if you got this, people love this product that it doesn't even have to be complimentary. You just have it personalized. We know you bought this. People are like, dang, like they're sending us stuff we actually like. They care about, you know, making sure we're not just getting spam. Um, and there's this personalization to it and put this, you know, offer in front of them or if something wears out or after a certain amount of time. Or uh, one thing we, we do a lot in the pet space. And one thing that's great is collect as much information as you can. If you send a, a birthday email to their dog with their name in it and a picture of their breed in that email, like those clicks are going to be substantially higher than just like a mass, hey, here's a new, you know, here's a, a pet product that we want you to buy. It's, we think that, you know, Fido, should uh, celebrate with, you know, dogs should celebrate their birthday too. Fido deserves the new, 
whatever the product is, happy sixth birthday. And it's a picture of a dog that looks just like him. People are like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. They know exactly what we want. So personalization segmentation, just, you know, from a high level, there's, there's so many ways to do it, but um, that is what makes or breaks that retention marketing for you. Well, let me ask you this because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty big in the like, direct response marketing uh, industry, right? It's, hey, you know what? I spend a dollar, I make four or five, six dollars on the back end. It's, it's you know, developing a sales funnel and so forth, the process. Um, and the e-commerce, just from my network, from what I've talked to, what they a lot of times do, because what happens is you can't really base yourself on price, right? Because you'll lose that, right? Hey, we're five cents cheaper. That's the reason why you should buy it from us. Well, that's basically you, you, you're not able to compete against the Amazons and the Walmarts because they can withstand that loss and you need to yeah. be profitable. Now, I've heard perceived value. Right. So what happens is you create an offer around the product. So maybe, hey, you know what, it's a it's a cage, but then they'll also get maybe a little handkerchief, you know, whatever. And maybe it's, you know, one ninety nine, two ninety nine or something like that. Right. So it's a whole everything right attached to it. And it's an offer. Uh, maybe you get like a subscription for, you know, ABC product or, you know, a little something. Right. Whatever it is. Um, my question to you is. How successful have you seen that produce? Or is it more of just leveraging those other techniques? Hey, driving the SEO directly to a product that they're looking for. Don't create it, you know, don't get it too fancy. Have kind of a nice, another product alongside of it maybe that they may want, but don't create an offer. I'm just curious, what, what different strategies have you uh, seen on the front end that allow to see the better conversions um, in, when, they're, when they're purchasing? That is a great question. Um, and it's not a super straightforward answer. So direct response marketing is can be used really in any industry. E-commerce, selling coaching, courses, um, you know, it's creating this irresistible offer. The messaging has to be, you know, evoke emotion and then have some rationale in there that lets them okay with making that decision. And then, um, you know, trying to get that purchase. And then you're typically trying to add some sort of value ladder or something. Buy this, and then we're going to try to upsell you this, 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 and this along the way, whether it's immediate or, um, you know, over a period of time. So I love direct response marketing for a couple types of e-commerce businesses. One is if you have a small product line, but it's something that's innovative um, and that stands out, you can really, you really want all of that messaging to be focused on this one product or this bundle of products that go perfectly together. Um, so if you have a larger, a larger brand um, where you have a, a decent sized product line, um, direct response marketing isn't, isn't going to be, um, the best thing. I mean, technically a lot of things are considered direct response of put this in front of somebody, try to make them buy it. But for what you're talking about here, what we're thinking through with direct response, uh, that's as much a branding play as anything. Get this in front of people, understand what your value props are, stay in front of them, let them buy one time. Then they're continue to, you know, be kind of a brand loyalist and buy over time. Direct response marketing isn't going to be that great there. Um, if you have a product that, um, for one, you want to stay away from Amazon and Walmart for these things. From a price standpoint, um, we like to drive people to a website as opposed to these reseller platforms because on Amazon, it's a race to the bottom most of the time. When we have somebody on their website, especially with really good direct response copy and kind of sequencing, um, you have all of their undivided attention. And a lot of people are going to buy before they even realize like, dang, I should have shopped this around a little bit because you pushed them through and gotten them so emotionally involved that they buy. Um, and then they realize like, dang, this was just private label. I could have gotten this for half the price somewhere else. Um, so we have, we work probably more on the former of what we talked about with um, 
bigger, not necessarily bigger, but more true brands. Um, but we do have a good bit of people that have built, they come to us and they have one or two paid acquisition channels. They're maybe doing a million dollars a year in the first year or so. Um, and then they realize like, dang, this worked pretty well. This product worked, this, this is a good product. People went for it. Now we need to build out either products around that or a more well-rounded marketing strategy. Uh, but most of that is, is just from a paid standpoint. But when you don't build that brand, uh, especially with Facebook shutting down these ad accounts left and right, um, if you, a lot of those direct response marketers, they find one channel that works and they just scale it, scale it, scale it. And then they get killed by, you know, no fault to themselves, but it's just, they don't have a good multi-channel approach because they're trying to make a quick buck instead of making, um, you know, long-term building something larger. And there's not any right or wrong way to do it. Both are good models. It's just, you know, kind of depends on, on your products, what you're trying to do from a, a long-term standpoint versus making some quick cash flow. Um, and a lot of these e-commerce guys, they do, they do direct response ads and they set up these funnels and landing pages with a bunch of upsells and they'll test like five products at a time. And they don't care. They don't need all of them to work. They need one to work and then they just scale that. Uh, but it's really interesting and really effective depending on you know what you're offering. So correct me if I'm wrong, kind of let, let's step back because we talked a lot about this, these different strategies, right? So let's imagine we were talking to an, uh, someone on our audience that's listening. They have about a million, $1.5, million e-com business, right? And a lot of their business is coming through paid acquisition, whether it's Facebook. And they realize, obviously, the, the, the devil is knocking on the door. It's going to you know, close at some point, right? They don't want to, but that's just kind of, you know, Facebook is Facebook. So now they're really worried and they want to pivot and they know they need to pivot. What would you recommend? Obviously, uh, what would you recommend is the first step that they should be implementing? Like, let's say, for example, they do not have a good solidified email processing segmentation. What would be that first step? Email and then affiliates and then SEO or what would that look like? What, what would you suggest? Uh, it, exactly what you laid out and for this reason. So Email is the first place you should start. You have a list of customers or people who you have acquired their contact information uh, from somehow. You gave them some bit of value for them to give you the information, whether it's your product, an ebook, or whatever it may be, a, a pop-up on your site for a discount. Um, these people know who you are. These are warm. Like when you talk, go outside of e-com and think of any sales strategy, who, are you, who do you want to spend most of your time with? Like you have to prospect and make the cold warm, but you, those warm leads are what are going to close. Um, so that is the easiest place that you can make money and make it immediately. So you take this personalization segmentation, whatever you do with this customer list that you're making my blackout curtain just fell behind me. I might have a, a shadow cast on me here. Um, so you're making money immediately. So if you want to look at a roadmap of how you take this budget and scale, email is the best place to start. You send that first email, you are making money immediately. Um, from there, I actually really like affiliate and SEO together um, because you're getting a ton of links. Now, most of them are no follow links, but you're getting traffic from all of these different sources. You do get some do follow links as well, uh, but you're getting traffic from all of these different sources that Google sees. Man, they must be a trusted and authority uh, you know, in their niche because there are all these different sites sending traffic there. You're getting clicks from hundreds of different places and quickly that we see uh, You know, one of the downsides objectives that we overcome with seo is how long it takes so if we can do anything to aid that speed so now not only are you making money from affiliates quickly before you're ever making money from seo you're you're having money come in 
through affiliate sales. They can pay for your SEO efforts, but you also see this speed of your rankings increase because it's all of this link building, um, all this different traffic sources come to your site and you can get really tactical with your link building because you end up getting, um, you know, you want to look at a, having a diverse backlink profile, which means no follow links, do follow links, all kinds of different anchor texts uh, from, from images, te like you just want it to look like very natural. Um, and when you build all these links and all these different traffic sources, when you're doing your true link building for SEO, you can just be so tactical because it's not going to look to Google like you're doing anything, you know, trying to manipul manipulate the algorithm or anything um, because you just have just such a diverse profile immediately. So they go hand in hand really, really well. Uh, but the way you laid it out, if I were to do one at a time, uh, depends on the business. But generally speaking, that is the that is the route that I would go. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that insight because I do know like a lot of business owners are literally sitting there going, okay, what's my next action step? What, what do I need to focus on? Right. And, and because yeah. honestly, we can get very convoluted with all this stuff and okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Uh, and the reality is like, okay, let's focus on this for the next 60, 90 days. And then get that dialed in the segmentation, the email. If you don't have that email, then obviously you're missing out. Maybe what would you say, Philip, another 15, 20, 30% in sales potentially? We like to see, so the larger the brand, the more diverse you're typically going to see their revenue. Uh, we like to be 20 to 30% from email. When you get above that, probably need to diversify a little bit. Not that you don't want to hit, you should still try to make that same revenue from your emails, uh, but it probably means you're not doing quite enough things. If you're under 20%, regardless of the size of your e-com brand, you probably, you're probably leaving money on the table from email and SMS. And if you're not doing SMS in 2022 for your e-commerce brand, you're missing out there too. 98% open rates versus what you get from email. Like, no reason not to. And people can easily opt out. People think it's so, uh, you know, leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. All they have to do is re respond, stop or whatever it is for your messages. And um, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And people, honestly, what I realize is it's actually just a better conversion rate, but also people actually appreciate that. Definitely if you do it, you know, respectfully and, and appreciative uh, and you have a good, good, uh, you know, good customer experience. Now, I would like to pivot in regards to obviously commission only Salesforce for e-commerce stores. And we talked kind of like, obviously, how you were able to pivot and develop that. Uh, now, my question is, is, um, you know, really, Philip, how can they, how can our audience find you to be part of that community, to be part of what you've got going on? Because that's, a, that's a huge pivot. And obviously, like you said, that's, that's a huge opportunity and um, proposition on the front end for a lot of your clients. Yep. So if you go to our website, purebreadmarketing.com uh, and go to our affiliate marketing page, uh, you can read all about it. It gives a, a breakdown of how it works, uh, who we work with and some case studies, things like that. And then we have an application on there. Um, again, it's, it's, we're pretty stringent with the application process. Um, but it's, it, even if we don't do it, we'd be happy to talk to you and, you know, kind of help you on your own, but that that's the best place to go and, and learn about it. Um, there's a lot of information about affiliate marketing out there, but it's mostly on the affiliate side. It's a, uh, here's how you can become an affiliate marketer as opposed from the brand side. Here's how you should leverage affiliate marketers. And here's how you should recruit and build relationships and nurture them. There's very, very little information out there um, on how to do that correctly. So where, where would that be? Because I love that approach because you're exactly right to find and attract those. What, uh, what would you suggest in that? That's your content of how to go and recruit them yourselves. Yeah. Best place to start is Google. Go to yeah. Google, type in uh, best of what your product is. And it will be uh, most of the time your competitors are not going to be on that first page. It's going to be review sites. 
It's the best place that you can start. Um, from there, we've compiled like lists. We have tens of thousands of affiliates we've worked with now. And so we have lists that are all tagged and categorized. So uh, when we bring in brands like in pet space, health and wellness, sporting goods, um, you, the we can go recruit from scratch in basically any industry for e-commerce or direct to consumer brands. But those are where we have just tons and tons of um, relationships already that we can leverage. That's taken a lot of time. From the beginning, it was really just trying to build relationships with all these people. So um, their review sites for everything you can think of, their bloggers in every single niche you can imagine. Um, so if you think of the difference though, and there's not a right or wrong way to do it, both of them are positive for your business. But when you land big publications, like from a PR standpoint, you're going to get this huge increase in sales and then it's going to drop off because most of that's being, you know, somebody lands on the homepage of Buzzfeed or something, which we work with them, you know, hand in hand often. And you get a big rise in sales, but then after you know a period of time, not a whole lot of people end up finding that. So you'll get a little trickle of sales after that. Uh, but a lot of what we rely on is SEO. So people that already rank on the first page or that they have so much authority that if they write a new article, it's going to rank pretty quickly. And it allows our sales to be pretty consistent. There is up and down. Um, but for most of those marketers that rely heavily on search, um, it's, it's really helpful. The other thing is a lot of these affiliate marketers, they're just really good marketers all the way around. So they build big email lists in these super tight niches. A lot of them have multiple sites and create multiple email lists, but all within a specific niche. Um, so like some of our affiliates have, you know, 30, 50,000, these aren't even huge affiliates. Like some guy sitting at home that just writes great content, promotes these products. Um, and he has an email list of 30 or 50,000 people and you land him. And if it works and he converts, he's going to continue to push that in front of his uh, audience. So you end up leveraging their SEO as well as, you know, the, the email list that they have too. And a lot of them run paid ads. Um, and if they, they, you have to be a really good marketer when all you're making is a percentage of sales, not the wholesale from a brand and you're able to run paid search ads. Um, and that's not for, we don't, we typically don't let our affiliates run uh, search ads for like this specific trademark name. So for like just our client's name, but if they run it for client's name review, you're looking for a third-party site, let them pay for those and uh, try to generate, you know, sales for you there. Well, what I find so interesting is just like you said there, in today's world, I think we have so many excuses that we go in definitely as business owners, right? Oh, well, you know, and, and it's very interesting because I, I think I process this when Elon Musk talks about how collapsing timeframes, if you give a task, 90 days, you most likely will optimize all 90 days. But if you just collapse the time frame, guess what? You're going to do a lot more in that very secluded period of time. And my, my point is really, is a lot of people think about affiliate marketing. Well, I got to build the relationships. I got to do this. Reality though, is, hey, I got an e-commerce business. I'm going to reach out to you, Philip, because you already built the relationships. And guess what? You're going to connect with me with all these people. Sure, I pay top dollar. Hey, that's okay, because guess what? I just collapsed time frames now. And now I can scale that. I've already got the relationships, and we can explode to a seven, eight, $10 million business relatively quickly if you deploy it effectively in a marketing uh, a strategy. And I just think it's so interesting because so many people, we sit there, oh, this is my 10-year plan. Then I'm going to get $10 million or whatever. And it's like, reality, you can collapse time frames and do that and acquire that a lot faster if you just find those high leveraged activities and a lot of times we are just busy instead of just focusing on the things that produce the biggest result um and, and i just want to get your response on that because you probably see that definitely in, in the e-com world and, and just in business in general i mean i was just about to say th that's in every business and what i've learned the, the longer uh you know my business career has 
uh, or my journey in my business career is I can learn how to do most of these things. Like my mind, I just kind of have a knack for business, for marketing, but there are other people that already know how to do these things. And so in the beginning, if you're really bootstrapping a business to start, like, sure, there's some things that you need to learn yourself because you don't have the budget to put it out there. But once you get to a place where you have a little bit of extra money, the time that it takes you to learn how to do something, and this is across, this is, you know, affiliate marketing that we're speaking about, but anything, uh, why not pay somebody that already knows how to do this? That in the three months that it takes you to really figure this out and you'll only be okay at it, pay them to come in here and just lay this out for you. So I try to find, uh, for my business, for this business specifically for purebred, I try to find the best people at whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's lead gen or sales or for our affiliate marketing. I went and found, once we decided to do this, I went and found uh, somebody that's been an affiliate manager before affiliate management was even a thing. And I hired her to come in and build out our affiliate marketing program. I've hired top sales consultants that are over in Dallas to come out and build. We shifted how we're um, structuring our sales process and, and shifting from sales from our AEs being salespeople to just salespeople that hunt and kill and bring in, it's really consultative sales approach. Um, so we need people that are um, somebody that understands that process, which I do, but I have a bunch of other things going on. So I'm going to find somebody that already has criteria that says, Hey, here's how we do things. If this is what you're looking for, I can start tomorrow and implement this. Um, and the same thing goes here from an affiliate standpoint. Now, the biggest benefit of that, if you understand working capital, is the amount of money that you saved to not hire the expert to come in and do that, you would be making money so much more quickly that if it takes you three, six months to really get something you know, ironed out, that you're making money month one with somebody else, what can you do with that extra amount of money and profits that you're generating in that three to six month period that your business could grow substantially from that extra working capital that you get? Um, so I'm a big proponent of, uh, time for dollars and um, where can you leverage experts and other areas that puts money in your pocket more quickly that you can then go roll back into the business. And so for a lot of these, uh, you know, if you're under, I feel like you can kind of get yourself to a million dollars a year um, in a bootstrap model. Once you get past that, um, it, and it depends what sort of business you're in, once you get past that, you you really need to delegate as much as you can. You need to surround yourself with people that are best at what they do. And you need to understand how uh, impactful having a little extra work, working capital is. If you have, if you're thinking ahead, you should never be working in your business for what you're doing today and tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, quarter to maybe more than that ahead, that um, the, the quicker you can put money in your pocket by freeing up your time to find somebody to come in, uh, your business can just explode so much more quickly. Man, what incredible insight, man. And uh, I love it, dude. Thanks so much, Philip, for just bringing such immense value and really just, I mean, really deep, deep level insight, but uh, definitely in the marketing industry and, and uh, just really effective strategies that produce the biggest result uh, for a lot of our listeners. Um, now, I always like to let you guys know uh, in the link, uh, the link's in the description below. So if you want to reach out to Philip and his team and everything that's going on with his community and so forth, make sure you click on that link. Make sure you just reach out to him. He's big on LinkedIn as well as uh, other social media platforms. So all those links will be in the description. Um, now, Philip, before we let you go, again, I really appreciate you being on here. Uh, is there any last words that you would like to share with our audience before we let you go, man? Man, we covered a lot today. Um, this was a good conversation. I don't, I don't know that there's any more... Uh, insights that are pressing right now. I think that uh, our listeners gained a lot. Um, to get in touch with me, yeah, just go to LinkedIn. 
Um, as Christian said, Instagram or check out our website at purebedmarketing.com. We're here to help you any way we can. Um, our first calls, we, we do not have a hard sales approach. It is, we are here to help and help businesses grow. So we actually have part of this sales process of changing is instead of hiring uh, new salespeople, we're just, um, you know, really finding the people that are best at, at coming up with these strategies to have these initial initial calls to see how we can help people and see if we're a good fit for them. So um, that's, that's all I have for today. Awesome guys. That is Philip Hill. And guys, this is journey with Christian Devins podcast. And I am your host, Christian Devins. Remember be uncommon if you can.